This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, December 20th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, COVID crushes Christmas cheer, Mountain Village passes 2022 budget, Telluride Library shines bright, and a mountain weather forecast. The Nutcracker at the Palm Theatre and Telluride Theatre's holiday extravaganza both had their final performances cancelled on Sunday after participants in the productions tested positive for COVID-19. But according to San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin, there's no need for panic. I know this was not an um, easy decision for either, but really um, both, both groups did a, a really strong job at setting up best practices ahead of time, and then having to make that game time decision about um, how to best protect um, attendees, um, their staff, and then um, have a level of certainty and um, communication that best serves their organization. She notes, for those who attended the events earlier in the weekend, there's no cause for alarm. Masks were required, people were within their groups, performers were on stage, and um, so there was different layers of protection put into place. Franklin says if individuals are planning to travel or see vulnerable family, they should consider getting tested. But I don't I don't think that for people that attended um, events, um, it's not necessarily um, just a, an alarm or a red flag, but more um, as a whole, if we're interacting with a lot of people indoors, um, we should have a heightened level of concern and awareness. Current Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines state unvaccinated individuals who are in close contact with a person who tests positive for COVID should quarantine for 10 days. Those who are vaccinated do not need to quarantine but should monitor symptoms and proceed with caution. Franklin says she sensed a heightened strain when it comes to the community's perception of COVID. I think that during the summer, um, as things began to open up, um, there's this perception that we're all moving back to normal pre-COVID life. And really what what we're doing is heading into um, a long-term life with COVID and having to manage um, living life while also recognizing that there's increased risk for different activities. She believes that in part comes from a higher number of breakthrough cases. I think there's a lot of um, people that are surprised to see vaccinated people get sick or test positive. Um, But what we're seeing is that there's not a severe disease or outcomes with these individuals. So um, although infection is occurring at uh, at a higher rate than we want to see, the overall outcome to keep people out of hospitals and from getting really sick um, is the true winner that we're still continuing to see that benefit from. Um, so I think it's that perception as well as just it's, it's just ongoing. And so many people have moved past the crisis um, or the emergency, and it's really just this like slow burn crisis now. She adds for the time being, San Miguel County is in a good place when it comes to COVID response. That may change tomorrow, right? But um, we'll take it day by day. Franklin notes, so far, public health has not identified the Omicron variant through testing or wastewater, but she anticipates the variant will arrive soon. I I do think, especially after these holiday weeks, um, it's going to be here, um, but it's the exact same ways to protect yourself um, 
as with every other um, variant that we've seen so far, um, wearing masks indoors, being a little bit more mindful with um, larger groups and um, getting vaccinated. Public health encourages residents and visitors to pay close attention to symptoms, get tested frequently and get vaccinated and a booster. Testing is available Monday through Friday at the Incompagre Medical Center in Norwood, Mondays and Wednesdays in Mountain Village, Mondays in Lawson, Tuesdays at the Telluride High School, Thursdays at the Telluride Medical Center Depot Building, and Fridays in Ilium. Registration for testing is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus. If an individual tests positive for COVID using an at-home rapid test, they should contact public health. It's the most wonderful time of the year, budget season. Earlier this month, Mountain Village Town Council passed its budget for the 2022 year. KOTO News spoke with town manager Paul Weiser about where the money's going next year. Paul, can you just share a little bit? What are the highlights in Mountain Village's 2022 budget? Uh, Well, thanks for asking, Julia. As you noted off air, uh, budgets are not necessarily the most exciting thing that people think of when it comes to their government operations, but it is probably the most important thing that we produce in any given year and probably the most important meetings that we hold. We technically on paper have a $53 million budget for this upcoming year. That $53 million is slightly misleading because there's $20 million in revenue that we're anticipating that is going to be bond revenue that's going to be coming in in order to finance the VCA phase four expansion that we're planning to undertake which you know, leads to probably about a $33 million budget for the town to work with this coming year. But that leads me to, I think, the probably the top concern or top issue that the town is going to be addressing this year in terms of the budget, which is the VCA expansion. It's going to be a 42-unit project that we're going to be undertaking. We've already expended money this year on soft costs, and we hope to be breaking ground here this spring. So I think that's probably the biggest item that's coming up this coming year, and that'll be we're probably going to spend about $15 million of that money this year on the project and then anticipating that we won't be completing the project completely in 2022. Another $5 million will probably be spent in 2023. Uh, In terms of other items, we have $300,000 allocated for our broadband project. We're going to finish that out hopefully this coming year. We have about $2.1 million allocated for uh, the sewer upgrades that are being done by the town of Telluride. Uh, We also have about half a million dollars set aside for just affordable housing projects generally. There are a lot of projects that the town is undertaking at the moment, but we're hoping that many of those projects will be financed by another entity, i.e. a developer, who will be taking on the, the majority of the risk. But in order for the town to do or get those projects launched, we will probably have to expend some money, but we anticipate getting a lot of those dollars back. Additionally, we do have a couple other capital improvements going on. $1.4 million getting set aside for a couple of road improvements. I would note that that $1.4 million, we're having 400000 repaid through grants. The town recently hired a grant coordinator. Her name is Lauren Kern. She's done amazing work for us for the last few months, and she's really saving the town a massive amount of money. And so I think that's actually a really good example of just uh, how much she is saving the town. So I think that's been an excellent hire for us. A couple other items, uh, we're going to spend about $180,000 to get some more buses uh, in order to improve our routes within town. And again, 80% of that is now being paid for by grant funding. And I think probably the last big thing for the town 
in terms of resident experience, we're going to spend out $300,000 on trails this year to do improvements. And once again, I think there will probably be grants involved in that. You mentioned um, resident experience and how um, the budget plays into that. When it comes to things like rates or fees in, in that kind of regard, is there any place that residents can expect to see um, costs going up or ideally down? We haven't been in a position where we've had to raise fees or rates in any sort of way. Uh, we do do a mill levy adjustment with respect to our property taxes just because the property tax assessment changes year to year. And we still need the same amount of dollars coming in. So the mill levy rate does change to reflect that property tax adjustment. But uh, there's nothing that pops into my mind immediately where residents will be paying more money this year. You, I think, probably already ran um, through a bunch of these things. But you know, the budget, as we've said, it's not necessarily the most um, shiny thing that the government does, but is very important in how people live their lives. Is there something maybe other than <laughs> all the um, items that you mentioned that you think um, are really exciting or will really be um, residents will, will notice in, in their lives that is directly kind of affected by the budget? Again, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like a broken record, but I think that residents should really appreciate that we're paying one person a salary to do grant work for us. And that is having a direct effect on the money that we are not spending as a town. And I think that people are not going to see that in their day-to-day -day lives, but the fact that the town has decided to take that step and invest in a person in order to save us money, the return on that investment is pretty incredible. And I, I think that perhaps in some instances, uh, both in the town of Mountain Village and generally throughout the state of Colorado, the people in those positions don't get enough credit. Well, Paul, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat about the budget with me. Of course. Those who know the Wilkinson Public Library know it's a shining star in the community. If you ask Library Journal, a professional journal for libraries, the Wilkinson Public Library is actually five shining stars. This week, the library won a five-star rating from the journal for the 14th year in a row. I think what we do is we have a really um, community patron-centered focus to the services that we provide. And we're not a library that's here to be, oh, look at the library, they're so great. It's, oh, what can we do for you and how can we serve the community? So our library is meant to be used. And you can see that um, on typical days, there's usually a lot of, a lot of activity, a lot of different um, events that may seem non-traditional for a library, but we're just trying to identify what it is that the community needs and provide that. That's Sarah Landerieu, Executive Director at the Library. The library is one of just five in the country to get the award for 14 straight years. The Library Journal draws on a number of metric points, per capita physical circulation, electronic circulation, library visits, program attendance, public computer use, Wi-Fi sessions, and electronic information retrieval. Telluride, the area that we serve here, the Wilkinson Public Library, we do really well. And part of that is because we have more card holders than we have a population. But that's not typical, and it's not always the case of a library in a resort area. But for us, it it's just kind of goes to show that we're here and we're open and we're welcome to everybody. Lander, you says the award is really a testament to the people who work at the library. 
you know, it can be tiring at times, but it's always you want to innovate, try new things, try it, doesn't work, go back to the drawing board. But um, it's always the focus of what can we do, what can we do better? And they just have that drive. I mean, it's like, okay, let's try it. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's do that and see what happens. She says it's all in the aim of serving the community. I mean, there's a real need in the community to feel that interaction connection. Um, You know, pre-COVID, it was a gathering place, and now we're trying to create those connections in that gathering, but maybe in a different way. But really, like, thinking of the library as connecting ideas with people or people with people. And I think by the services that we provide, it's, like, through programs or identifying needs in the community, like the notary, passport, you know, the government services type thing that we picked up because there was a need. And then just really looking at how can we reduce barriers? You know, it's super easy to get a library card. Um, You know, you can do your printing and get your copies and there's no fines. Like we want you to use the library. It's not here to be something that's like this, this place that you don't I don't know what they do there. You know, we want you to come in and take take the books off our shelves. Through pandemic and now, the Wilkinson Public Library has proven to be a place of gathering for Telluride, always shining with five bright stars. The Sheridan Opera House is decking the halls and preparing to count in the new year. Beginning this week, the Opera House will host its holiday concert series. Starting Sunday, December 26th, with Warren Miller's Winter Starts Now ski film, John Oates will perform songs and stories with Guthrie Trapp on December 27th, Grammy-nominated artist Jewel will take the stage on the 28th, the 29th will see Denver-based indie rock band Kiltro, the concert series will close out the year on December 30th and 31st with the one and only Yonder Mountain String Band. Proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test is required. Tickets are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. Mark Twain once said, Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. After a two-year COVID-induced hiatus, the Telluride Rotary Club is looking to provide students with the opportunity for travel with its youth exchange program. Through the program, local students have the opportunity to live abroad, study for a school year, and live with a local family. But in order to work, the Telluride community must, and gets to, welcome a foreign student into the community here. As such, the Telluride Rotary Club is looking for local families to host a student throughout the 2022-2023 school year. Exchange students will live with a family for approximately three and a half months. Host families do not need to have high school-aged children in the home although it is a plus. Families who are interested in becoming a host family for an exchange student should contact Patricia Kiernan at kiernanpatricia6 at gmail.com. As climate becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, our story comes from just north. For nearly a century, Colorado's North Fork Valley relied on coal for high-paying jobs and a thriving economy. But as the mines close their doors, they leave behind a troubling legacy, leaking methane. 
Methane is a greenhouse gas that is about 80 times more potent than carbon dioxide, and global leaders are taking it seriously. In November, over 100 countries pledged to cut methane emissions 30 percent by 2030. One entrepreneur in the North Fork Valley is a step ahead, using his business to address methane emissions while also tackling other environmental problems. KVNF's Stephanie Malterich reports. Eric Edwards maneuvers his machine through sandy sediment in the mudflats on Paonia Reservoir. He was hired by Delta Brick and Climate Company to collect 40 cubic yards, about four dump truck loads of sediment from the reservoir. Now this, this you got another six inches that you know is good because we didn't take from this area last time. Yeah, there's your... In 2017, Chris Kasky founded Delta Brick and Climate Company, which manufactures tile and brick. The company also operates with a mission to find solutions to environmental problems in the North Fork Valley while creating jobs in a transitioning economy. The first problem Delta Brick tackled was the excess sediment in Paonia Reservoir. The sediment creates a high-quality clay they now use to make tile and brick. All of the water that is stored is committed to go to farms downstream from here in the Paonia Hotchkiss area. So this mud and sediment that has filled in has made about a third of that storage capacity go away and so their irrigation season has shortened. Then, Kasky brainstormed solutions to manage the methane that leaks from abandoned coal mines in the area. A 2016 study by Colorado's Energy Office found that nearly 20 abandoned coal mines in and around the North Fork Valley have the highest potential for methane capture than any other former mines in the state. So the coal mines are leaky. They leak all over the mountainside, primarily from old mine shafts and portals, but also from cracks in the geology, we would like to start using the sediment in the reservoir to seal off these leaks. After a couple of years of research and conversations with stakeholder groups, Kasky, who is also a chemist, has found a way to address both problems with one solution. He wants to seal the leaking mines with plugs manufactured with sediment. And that'll make our methane capture systems more efficient, keep more methane out of the atmosphere. And essentially eliminate methane leaking from the mines, keeping in line with new global standards. A few days after it was collected, a dump truck full of sediment arrives at Delta Bricks factory, located in a large, airy warehouse near downtown Montrose. Two employees manage the factory's day-to-day operations, from mixing clay, firing kilns, and glazing tile. Evan Barrett is the production manager, and he appreciates working for a company with a business model focused on solutions. It's a creative idea just in the way it is. Um, really trying to make the maximum amount of impact from all different angles, you know, not just the watershed issues and water storage, but also the methane, but also creating jobs in coal communities. Delta Brick has seen a steady growth in brick and tile sales over the past year, but Kasky says grants from various state agencies have been essential to keeping the business running. He commends Colorado's leadership in supporting communities in transition. Colorado has been great, and it's a first in the nation to have actual resources and and humans thinking about how to make this transition good for other people and good for communities. Wade Buchanan, the director of the Office of Just Transition, created in the state in 2019, says he is inspired by creative solutions like Delta Brick because it's important for individuals and communities to decide what they want to do moving forward. If we came into a situation and said, okay, 
you guys are mine workers who are being displaced. Here are three kinds of jobs you can have, and we're going to work with you on those three kinds of jobs. It would have limited their future. It would have limited the community's future. Kasky agrees it's not about telling people what to do. It's about an appropriate response. You know, the correct relationship to this reservoir is to try to get the mud out that comes in. And the correct relationship with these abandoned coal mines is not to totally abandon them, but to uh, capture that methane and keep it out of the atmosphere. And the correct relationship to the coal communities is not to leave the people behind, but to bring them along in a just transition. Kasky says Delta Brick's next step is to move the factory to an abandoned coal mine in Somerset, where they will use captured methane to power brick and tile operations. Reporting for KVNF and Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Stephanie Maltrich. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for increasing clouds tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Tuesday should be cloudy, becoming sunny, with a high in the mid-40s. Tuesday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 20 degrees. Wednesday should be mostly sunny during the day with a chance of snow showers at night. The high is near 45 degrees with a low around 30. This has been the news for Monday, December 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.